Hello, everybody. I'm here with Austin Suggs. Austin is the host of the Gospel Simplicity YouTube channel, um, which is one of my favorite YouTube channels. I, I think I listen to most uh, videos that you put out. You have really good interviews with um, theologians or um, interesting authors of all sorts of varieties. So I, I'd highly recommend your YouTube channel to anyone listening. Although I suspect if you listen to my YouTube channel, YouTube has already probably recommended Austin's videos to you. Um, I feel like almost everyone I talk to has kind of heard or seen uh, your YouTube channel. It, it's, uh, it, I remember maybe something like a year ago, your, your views or your subs were in like the hundreds or thousands, but I feel like you've, you've really um, exploded over the past, I don't know, year or six months or stuff like that. So I, the purpose of this video is I, I'm just really curious to hear more about you, more about your story, um, the story of your YouTube channel and sort of where it's going into the future and, and those sorts of things. So um, without any further ado, Austin, do you want to tell me sort of about like your, your faith background growing up uh, and what that was like? Yeah, I'd love to. And, and thanks for having me on, Sam. It's a, it's a joy to be here. So as far as my faith background growing up, I grew up in, I guess we can call it a Christian home, even though I don't even know exactly what that term means. I don't think my house had a uh, religion per se, but uh, my, my parents <laughs> were, were Christians and uh, my mom was on staff at a large non-denominational church. Uh, she started as the children's director there and then was the creative director um, for most of my childhood. So I kind of grew up in church sound booths and, uh, you know, learning the ropes of church production, all of of that kind of in uh, you know seeker sensitive quasi mega church uh, kind of style. I went to a Christian school from about kindergarten through seventh grade, which was formative in a lot of ways. Um, kind of allowed me to have, in addition to growing up in the church, just kind of have that nice foundation of growing up in a fairly sheltered environment, which also has its drawbacks, of course. Um, but then in eighth grade, I switched to public school. Um, if you if you don't mind yeah. me asking, what region of the country did you grow up in? I can't tell by your accent. Ah, yeah, great question. Um, so I grew up in Maryland, uh, okay. so kind of DC suburbs, mm -hmm. and it was a pretty post-Christian environment for the most part. It's a lot of transplants in the area that come uh, for work for the government. But as far as like my neighborhood growing up, I think I was maybe yeah one of the only. We were one of the only families that went to church consistently. None yeah. of my friends were hostile the faith and this was very similar once I got to public school there wasn't any real like hostility it was more just apathy it's like eh, you go to church Sunday that's cool I don't uh, my friends in high school would joke that on Sunday mornings they were hung over and I was at church but you know then we could still get brunch afterwards and be friends um so it uh yeah that was kind of the the vibe of the area that I grew up in but so so why did you switch from Christian school to public school did your Christian school end then or did you choose to switch yeah that was my decision uh it went all the way through high school so I could have continued there there was um I I always had a good experience there but my sister um she's two years older than me was treated really poorly by them. We were very different students. I was very much the model of what they wanted. And she didn't kind of fit the the image of what they saw. And that was really hurtful for her. But uh, more so than that, I think the reason that I left, um, it was just a really small environment. I'm a really competitive guy and I wanted to be pushed more academically. I wanted to play sports in high school. Um, 
just kind of wanted to expand my horizons a bit. So that's why I ended up switching for my last year of middle school and then into high school. Mm -hmm. So what was that, what was that transition like? Yeah. So, you know, for all of the, uh, kind of scare stories I had heard uh, as a kid at a small Christian school about public school. Um, it, it was really easy for me. And honestly, I recognized that it, it wasn't easy for everyone. And I think it took me a bit to realize that I had a bit of a unique experience, but I, it just so happened that I only knew a few guys there, but I knew them uh, from playing sports and they happened to be some of the most popular guys there. And so I remember that terrifying thing of like the first day of school first, lunch, first cafeteria, cafeteria. Lunch. yep yeah. and like where am I gonna sit and a couple yeah. of them calling me over and you know in, in the moment that seemed like nothing I mean I was I was thankful that they had me sit with them but then just reflecting back I realized how much that shaped my experience and then of course playing sports and being involved and things like that um, just kind of shapes your, your social experience but it was um it was it was pretty good for me mm -hmm. cool um, so you, you're a student at Moody now, um, right? Mm -hmm. You are, are you get your, what, what degree are you getting at Moody? I'm getting a Bachelor of Arts in Theology. Mm -hmm. So how did you decide to end up at, at Moody? Yeah, so that's a, a bit of a winding journey, I suppose, but I, I guess it gets into some of my faith journey. So while I was in high school, despite it being a, a relatively easy experience for me, um, I, I did go through a bit of a um, deconstruction or crisis of faith, whatever you want to call that. Um, so initially, I wanted to be like a missionary from a young age. I was really interested in going to like Papua New Guinea, um, being a Bible translator, things like that. Uh, but then into my sophomore, junior year of high school, uh, because of a, a host of things, which we can get into or not, um, I really started pushing away from my faith. And so that was a really inconvenient timing because that's also the time of your life when everyone starts asking you what you want to do with your life. And I began to realize I have no idea what I want to do. Um, and so initially I decided I was going to get into medicine because I still wanted to help people, but I wasn't that interested in the church at that time per se. Um, and so I was looking into like Doctors Without Borders. I'd been accepted into an accelerated uh, medical program coming out of high school with some it's really great scholarships and such lined up. Um, but then by the end of my senior year, I'd kind of come back to the church and I had been interning at the church just a little bit. And um, by the end of it, they actually offered me a full-time job, which really threw my uh, head for a spin. And after some uh, thought and prayer, I decided to kind of do a gap year and work there and try it out. I ended up working there for two years. And while I worked there, they made the mistake of allowing me to teach, which I fell in love with and realized all that I didn't know and started taking classes through Moody online, um, but then just enjoyed that too much to just do it kind of part time. So ended up coming out here to Chicago. Mm -hmm. Cool. So um, what what's your what, what's your impression like at, at Moody Bible? I, you know, I like I told you, I live in the Chicago area. The church that I go to is relatively connected with Moody Bible. We'll get students or interns or pastors or what have you from there. What's your What's your impression like uh, being at Moody Bible? Are you 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 said you're what year are you? I'm a senior. You're a senior, yeah. So you've been there for a while now. Well, so what's it been like? Yeah, it's been a really good experience for me. Moody's a really unique community. For those that aren't familiar with it, it's a school where everyone I mean part of like your application is expressing your desire to go into ministry and so it's it's definitely a niche school I mean there's about a thousand students but 
it's a thousand students who all are passionate about very similar things, even though not necessarily everyone's a theology, Bible, pastoral major. Um, no matter what they're doing, their, their hope is to get into some type of ministry. And so that just creates a really um, unique community full of passionate people, which has, has been really good. There's a lot of great professors and being uh, kind of taking that niche community, which can seem a bit sheltered at times, and then putting it right down in the middle of Chicago uh, just creates this this really fun uh, mm-hmm. clash of worlds in a way. Um, but I, I yeah. really enjoyed it. So how have you liked being in Chicago? I love Chicago as long as you don't ask me in February. Um, <laughs> well, that's true of that's true of all of us yeah. and the natives. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I um, I grew up in the DC suburbs, but for the, later my parents moved uh, to the Eastern Shore, and so I, I miss the uh, yeah the, the water. Even I mean, we're on the water here, but it's, yeah. it's, it's too cold. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, but I love well, the there's city. like two months a year when it's warm enough. But uh... <laughs> yeah, when I'm not here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That that that's funny. Um, and and so I guess how did you start your YouTube channel? What was sort of the in, impetus or inspiration for that? Yeah. So generally speaking, I kind of uh, give a lot of credit to a, a mentor of mine who was an associate pastor in the area, not of the church that I went to, but as someone that when I started getting interested in ministry, uh, kind of in that gap year period, um, started just uh, being someone that I was talking to and looking up to. And I had started teaching and was telling him, man, I'm really enjoying this. Um, What recommendations would you give me for getting better at this? And he's like, I mean, really the only way to get better is doing it more. And so just keep fighting for at-bats to get speaking opportunities. I was like, okay, that, that sounds like good advice. And then I remember kind of driving home or just kind of chilling on that and being like, wait a second, like, I don't have to wait for someone to, you know, put me on the schedule to teach once a month on a stage or something. Like, I've got a camera. I was doing freelance wedding videos at the time. I still do. Um, I was like, what if I just start talking to my camera in my basement, really just to, to get practice communicating. And so that, that's kind of how it started. It, the channel was very different than what it is now. Um, it was mainly just kind of devotional videos, Bible studies, things like that as a way for me to just practice thinking about these things and communicating them and, and hopefully also, you know, helping people in some way. Mm-hmm. So um, when, when did your, your channel start taking on a slightly different direction than the kind of monologue devotional thing? Yeah. So that was, gosh, I guess um, a little over a year ago now. So not this summer, but the previous summer at that time I would make uh, these videos called just let let's chat I think was the title of them really descriptive uh it's no wonder my channel wasn't growing I didn't even know what it was about to be honest Uh, but one day I was just making I was reflecting on a lot of the division in our country at the time I mean this was kind of in the the middle of a lot of rioting and just a lot of uh, instability in the country I was thinking about how and Chicago's an interesting place to be during when all that was happening yeah it really is um so i was reflecting on those things but i was also reflecting on divisions in the church and it reminded me of this experience i'd had of going to a catholic bible study with my uncle um you know maybe a year or two prior to making this video i was thinking you know what maybe i should make a video about how despite our differences uh protestants and catholics can learn from each other and i mean that was that was kind of it i I wasn't thinking a lot about like this is going to be some new direction for my channel um, but at that point, I maybe had 
500 subscribers or something like that. And I've been doing it for over a year, year and a half, I guess at that point. Um, and that video, not initially, but kind of slowly began uh, just expanding and kind of taking off and became my most popular video. And I got a lot of people telling me, hey, you should go to a, a Catholic mass. It's cool that you went to a Bible study, but if you really want to understand Catholicism, you should go to a mass. I was like, sounds like good advice. So I went to a mass, made a video about it, and that blew up. Um, and then people saw like a glimpse of that church and like, wow, that looks so beautiful. I'd love to see more of it. So I was like, oh, I'll see if they'll let me do a tour. And I did that. And now those two videos are the two most popular videos on my channel. But I, as that kind of grew and took off, it really shifted the demographic of my audience from like this really small demographic of evangelicals to this really diverse audience of uh, Catholics, evangelicals, Protestants, just kind of trying to make sense of the divisions in the church. Um, and when I started doing that, I got invited on some podcasts and I was being interviewed. And then I was like, this is kind of fun. I could, I could try interviewing people. And that's kind of how it slowly took a turn. Mm -hmm. So how do you pick and find your guests? You have a very eclectic uh, guest list, I'd say, and with a lot of, of variety. And it's not, I, I'll, I'll just say, it's not the normal guest list that someone who grew up in a standard suburban megachurch would normally pick. So, so how, did you, how did you get led in that direction? Yeah, I, I, I appreciate the term eclectic. I think that probably fits the... The description of the guests well um but it, it now happens i mean like there's i guess the technical answer and then the, the philosophical answer but i as a youtube content creator there's this balance of because it is my job now um of what i know the audience wants to to see and hear and also kind of the conversations i'd like to introduce them to or things that i find interesting now oftentimes those things overlap it, yeah. which is convenient. I happen to enjoy a lot of the things my audience enjoys, but I also know, you know, I, I could feed them the same three videos every week, just with a different title and they'd probably enjoy that, but it's not really great for expanding the reach of your channel longevity. So it's kind of this game of like, Hey, here's the, the bread and butter of maybe what they're looking for, but how can I introduce them to this and maybe catch a few people here? Or like, this is a conversation I'm really interested in right now. Maybe I can frame this in a way that would fit. Um, and then on the technical side, I mean, a lot of it comes from audience feedback of, you know, they'll tell me who they want to see. And, yeah. you know, I think it'd be silly not to, to take note of that. I also have relationships with several publishers now who help arrange interviews with their authors and will be sending me um, kind of like what, what's new that's coming out. And so we try to kind of create a symbiotic relationship there that, that works out for everybody. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. So I guess since you've been on this kind of, I don't know, maybe you could call it like an ecumenical tour or something <laughs> like that. What, what have you learned? What's been the most surprising things that you felt like you've, you've learned on this journey so far? Yeah. I mean, I think the, the number one thing I, I learned early on is just how little I actually knew about these things, which is always <laughs> a humbling experience. You know, I, I grew up around some ca cultural Catholics. I mean, despite living in a state named after the Virgin Mary, uh, Mary land, I, I really didn't know any passionate Catholics. Um, so my, my picture of Catholicism was really skewed by Catholics that only went to church on Christmas and Easter or people who went to Catholic school, but not because of the religion, just because it was, you know, a better school or something like that. Um, so I, I quickly learned that a lot of the, the images I had of Catholicism were incorrect. And 
man, I had hardly any images of orthodoxy. I mean, I think I knew there was a Greek Orthodox church that existed in my town. And the only thing I knew about it was they put on a Greek festival every year that had some pretty good food. Yeah. Like that, that's all I know. <laughs> right. um, I, I couldn't tell you a thing about their theology when I started. Um, so, I mean, a lot of it's, it's, it's tough. I, I've learned how little I know. And then so almost everything I know now about them has been things I've had to learn because I, I knew so little. Um, but yeah, I think I, you know, in addition to just learning a lot of facts or dates or ideas, um, I've just kind of come away with a, my, my horizons broadened of what the church is and who's inside of that. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, why, why do you think there's so much interest in traditional Catholicism or Eastern Orthodoxy among people with sort of Protestant evangelical upbringings? Because I feel like I've noticed that a lot on my channel. I've, I've had some Eastern Orthodox theologians, and so those are some of my most watched videos. And it's like, well, what, what, what's going on with that? Uh, and I feel like there's this sort of, I don't know, surge of interest. It's hard to tell how big it is um, in like the real world or how much of it's sort of an internet thing. But why do you think there is sort of this kind of I don't know, surge of interest, particularly in Eastern Orthodoxy, but also kind of in traditional Catholicism? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think there's kind of a theological and sociological answer to that. Um, as well as I think you make a, you, you ask a good question there of what's the relationship between the internet interest and kind of the real world? Because I think something that's tempting to do that you know the youtube algorithm is really good at showing us the things that we're interested in and it makes mm -hmm. it seem as though this is what everyone's interested in right now sometimes i receive comments that like man i feel like revival is happening in uh on the internet all the videos i see on youtube are about uh catholicism or orthodoxy or whatever and i'm like i, I love the spirit but that's actually just youtube showing you what they think you're going to watch you know mm -hmm. if you were a 12 year old interested in makeup tutorials but they have to be 12 to do that um you'd think the whole internet was about you know how to do a smoky eye or whatever um so i, I think you know it's perceptive to, to ask that question um but there certainly is within these circles online within kind of the uh evangelical circles and i, I can attest to it on the ground here at moody as well among theology students there's a lot of interest in maybe what i would just refer to as the ancient church uh both yeah. east and west I think some of it comes from a growing dissatisfaction with the state of evangelicalism in the U.S. I think people have seen it kind of shift with the winds and the tides and worry what is what is the future of evangelicalism. And I think anytime you're kind of discontent, sometimes you begin asking, like, is this thing fundamentally flawed? Where did this come from? What are its foundations? And as people begin investigating church history, which is sometimes a rare thing within the evangelical space, they begin to be unsettled that perhaps their expression of Christianity or the church isn't how it's always been, which is true. I mean, I think we just kind of have to, to own that. Now you can have um, understandings of maybe why the church looks different today than it did in the past, but there's, there's an extent to which, yeah, like people haven't always done things the way you're doing them if you're in like a mega church like I grew up in. Um, so I think that's some of it. I think also we see this as a broader cultural trend within kind of post-modernity of kind of breaking down this sense of identity and 
trying to understand where we come from. I mean, I don't think it's a coincidence that we see also a rise in things like 23andMe or Ancestry.com. People want some sense of rootedness amidst these times that feel anything but rooted. And I think people are finding that in the more ancient practices of, say, the Orthodox Church. Yeah, that's that's a really, I, I'd never connected that with 23andMe. That's, that's an interesting observation. Um, the church I go to is, uh, has more people with gray hair than diapers. And so the, it's a little bit behind on these sorts of trends. So I don't really see it on the ground there. But uh, in Moody, do you feel like you're sort of on like a unique journey compared to most of the students around you? Or, or is there, or do you have, I don't know, other people around you that are asking similar sorts of questions? Yeah, so I would definitely wouldn't say it's everyone at Moody, but I would definitely say there's a subculture undercurrent of people that are interested in these topics. Just as a general trend, I think it's more often than not among theology majors who are maybe a bit more highbrow in their thinking for better or worse, um, but who also get maybe more exposure to classes on church history and historical theology and begin asking some difficult questions. And um, I think maybe there's also just an air of being in college and learning a lot and thinking maybe everyone was wrong. You know, there's a certain, uh, yeah. know, a certain ego level to it sometimes I think for people, but I'll say increasingly, I have people um, not just say, you're that guy from Gospel Simplicity, which is still a weird thing. I don't know exactly what to do with. Um, but I say, hey, I've seen your videos. I'm really interested in Orthodoxy. I'm really interested in Catholicism, um, which is just interesting. Now, I, I don't think you know my channel is the cause of that. Um, and I'm not even saying that necessarily there's more now than there was at the beginning. Maybe it's just that people have seen my videos. And so when they see me, they talk to me about this, whereas if they didn't know who I was, they're not just going to tell some random dude in the elevator that, you know, they're considering converting to orthodoxy. Um, but it's definitely a thing. Um, again, I think my experience might magnify it, um, but it's there. Mm -hmm. So what, how would you describe sort of, you, you talked a little bit about this kind of postmodern um, kind of shift and, and this sort of rootless identity um, what, what do you think, could you go into a little bit deeper what you think this sort of problem, crisis, or I, I don't know, maybe those are slightly too strong of words in evangelicalism is, because I, I feel like I'm, I'm smelling the same thing, but I don't quite know how to put my finger on it yet either. Yeah, so, I mean, I want to make sure I'm answering the question you're asking, um, because they might be I, I think maybe they're distinct, but not completely separate things. But as far as the um, the dissatisfaction with evangelicalism on the one hand, and then this sense of rootlessness, um, mm -hmm. or even, you know, what, what some people have called like uh, crises of meaning or identity, mm -hmm. um, which, which I, th I do think they overlap because evangelicalism, while insulated, isn't, you know, it, it's porous. So these ideas come through. Um, I think on the one hand, with the dissatisfaction with evangelicalism is there was, you know, a movement starting in the 19, late 80s, early 90s, I suppose, of this kind of seeker sensitive movement of we're going to kind of reorient the church from primarily looking at the church as a worshiping community where our message is geared towards Christians that we kind of just take 
for granted the fact that those people in our pews, which they would soon get rid of and replace with movie theater style chairs, are Christians. Whereas, you know, what if we began to reorient our ministries around people who are on the outside and it, and not make the assumption that the people who are walking through our doors are people that often dark, uh, you know, darken the doorways of the churches. And so you begin to see the shift in how church is done around that time. And it's you know, started to come of age and the mega church movement. But in the midst of that, while we've seen huge church growth and we've seen, you know, blossoming ministries, we've often also seen great falls and failures. I mean, I, I don't think you have to be glued to the news to, to know that there's been many high profile pastors that have, um, you know, have really fallen and hurt church communities because of that. And I think each time we see things like that happening, it's causing people to ask, man, is, is there a flaw in this? And then I think as the, the society at large grapples with questions uh, with social issues and issues of social justice and um, otherwise, I think there's people asking, you know, what has, you know, the mega churches have built these big churches, but are they answering these questions? Are they, are they communicating actually to what I'm interested? So I think there's a lot in that um, that is kind of leading to some amount of dissatisfaction. Um, I think the, the mega church movement is still in a testing phase of, is this actually viable long-term? You know, maybe it gets people in the doors, but does it, does it create the, the transformation it's promising? Um, on, on the other hand, as far as the post-modernity, I mean, there's definitely people that are better authority, people that are better authorities on all these things uh, than myself. But I, I think as we have, you know, people have described it as a move from kind of these sense of like, uh, essentials or whatnot, and these overarching categories of how the world is ordered um, into this sense of the experience first. And so my experience defines my identity and not only my identity, but, but the world at large, which can make the world a very isolating place when I'm kind of the locus of authority on everything, when my experience shapes how I see the world. I think it was initially thought to be a liberating idea and perhaps in some ways it has been and there's things to learn from that. But I think also people are realizing man, when everything kind of orbits around me and my experience, it, it can be lonely and isolating. And I, I struggle to make sense of who I am in light of other things because all I am is my experience. Um, and there isn't necessarily an overarching pattern to the world. We've kind of uh, pushed aside some of those uh, notions from modernity that the world is an ordered place or really pre-modernity in a lot of ways, but even that we can get to the bottom of answers, which modernity was so focused on. Um, and so as people are like, so I'm the center of things, the world doesn't necessarily make sense. There aren't these universals. Who am I? And I think a natural impulse for people in that is to say, I don't know, maybe I'm like the, the sum total of the experiences going before me, even though I get to, you know, self-define. And so, you know, maybe I had Irish grandparents and I need to learn about the Irish experience to better inform who I am. Um, and so people are trying to get back to their roots. Uh, that's a long and winding answer to your no, question. That, that, that was a good and insightful answer. I think, I think that's right. Um, one, one of the things that I think about, because I, I grew up in a small church, but I went to youth group at Willow Creek, which is sort of like yeah. the archetypal, you know, seeker sensitive yeah. Chicago area church. So I had like a foot in a small church and one foot in, you know, the larger, big, you know, seeker sensitive mega church world. 
um, yeah. is that like I I think that the the seeker sensitive megachurches were sort of baby boomer for it mainly attracted baby boomers as they were starting to grow their families mm-hmm. and and it can be the there's a weird life cycle where people are sort of least religious in their twenties. But then once they get married, then and then especially once they have kids, then all of a sudden they're like, oh, man, I got to teach my children something. I don't want them growing up completely moralless and, you know, all these sorts of things. And so right right around like the the late 80s and early 90s, which is when the millennials started being born in largely baby boomer households, that's when these churches start, you know, popping up and then millennials have mostly left the nest now and and baby boomers are empty nesters and so that whole reason for those churches is sort of collapsing in a certain sense so i think not not that this is um contrary to what you were saying about sort of you know meaning and rootlessness and sort of those sorts of things i feel like these are kind of two parallel parts of the same story but I think that what'll be interesting is so millennials are starting to get old enough where some of us are starting to have jobs and families and kids now too. And we're like, oh no, where are we gonna do with our kids? Where do we take our kids to church? What youth group do we put them in? What do we take them to Awana? Do we not like Awana? You know, like et cetera, et cetera. And so I, I guess all of that is to say, what, what do you think the, the future of the evangelical church will look like? What do you think when, if there's some amount of, if there's some sort of demographic force behind this, like I'm saying sort of like millennials and the baby, like the generational boom and bust cycle is behind this, but also what you're talking about in terms of meaning, postmodernism, identity, the, you know, some suspicion of the entire locus uh, being on experience. What do you think the future of evangelicalism looks like? Yeah, it's a big question. And if I had the definitive answer to it, I think there'd be no shortage of people looking to pay me a lot more than I make currently um, <laughs> out of uh, evangelical think tanks, because there's, there's no shortage of people that are anxious over the answer to this question. You know, I, I don't know for sure, but I can offer a couple of thoughts. I think one interesting thing along the lines of what you're saying of kind of the, the generational thing that's that's causing a lot of anxiety right now is kind of a lot of the early data. And it might be too too early to say in some ways, but uh, the Barna Group, who does a lot of re- great research in these areas, um, has shown that at a vastly lower percentage are millennials doing the thing where they come back to church. It's just yeah. that they left and they're not coming back. And, and, now and also like, they're not having as many kids or getting married as early either. Kind of right, all of yeah, those things. Are, kind of yeah. exasperates it. Exactly. Um, yeah. So if it relies on the family and marriage and those kind of uh, social structures to bring people back to church and those aren't happening and even when they do they're not causing the the predictable outcome we thought those are worrisome things um for people that kind of relied on that so what is the future of the evangelical church in some ways i think the the mega church has enough steam behind it that i don't think it'll die quickly by any means i think there might be people that kind of uh, sign its premature death but i think but even a place like willow is a great uh, case in point of they had a, a massive scandal with their senior pastor which was really sad to see um just all, all the pain and hurt that caused and kind of the disillusion out of that um, but willow didn't topple i mean that they're an organization with enough 
organizational uh, inertia, that it's not going to kind of fade in a day. Um, but I do think there's going to be questions uh, of what this looks like. I think there's been a general trend. Um, we saw kind of seeker sensitive churches like the uh, Willow or North Point that are broadly, not to get like too in the weeds, but they're kind of called attractional models mm -hmm. of, you know, we're going to make this um, just attractive to people on the outside. But then you kind of see a slightly new brand of mega church coming out of like the elevation church model um, with Pastor Stephen Furtick and uh, the likes there, where it's similar, yet while the attractional churches were kind of like, how do we make this not too weird for people so that anyone can kind of enjoy it? These people are going, they're doubling down on the experiential elements and kind of adding in a more charismatic flair to it, which I do think aligns with the emphasis on personal experience. So I think that's come into our churches as well that my faith is defined by personal experience, especially emotional experiences, which is where we see kind of the rise of worship music playing such a large role mm -hmm. in the mega churches. So who are the biggest churches? Well, they're often the ones with the best bands. And why is that? Well, I think in addition to people just liking music, I think that creates one of the most emotional experiences. And we also yeah. see that in the preaching, right? Someone like Bill Hybels was in a button down and pretty calm throughout his sermon or Andy Stanley kind of um, you know, he draws you in, but he never raises his voice. You see these people that have more charismatic personas now that are trying to make you have this experience. So I think that's one answer that people are giving. And I think it'll probably continue to work in some fashion for some time. Though uh, so I think people have to work harder to get the results they used to get. But there's also this kind of generational change at the undercurrent. For those that did stay in the church, um, I think a lot of them are looking for something different. And the experience a lot of them are looking for, I see a big shift in people looking for some type of like liturgical experience, not necessarily in the old sense. They kind of want to fuse like the, the dynamism of some of the churches they grew up in with a sense of liturgy that gives them some rhythms and habits. And I think some of that's kind of a generational thing. So while maybe the baby boomers grew up in a liturgical church, got tired of it, went to this really cool church, then their kids grew up in this really cool church. And they're like, man, but this liturgy thing, that kind of sounds cool. I want to try that. I want to try like mm -hmm. the Book of Common Prayer or something like that. Right. And then it'll be interesting to see if that kind of just continues. Um, yeah. yeah. Those are some of my thoughts. I remember I, when my wife and I first moved back to Chicago, we were kind of church hunting for a little bit. And um, there was a Anglican, uh, a conservative Anglican church on the near north side that was meeting in a school gym. And we went there and it was like 80% Moody students. I was like, well, that's <laughs> what was weird. it? Do you remember the name? Oh, I don't remember its name. Was it Emmanuel or Cornerstone? Oh. There's a couple of them. It was meeting in a school in, in the uptown neighborhood, but um, I, I, it might have okay. been. It might have been Emmanuel. Yeah. yeah, I think that I think it might. I think that's right. I, I'm not sure if I could remember. But anyway, I was like, well, this is curious. I thought that I was sort of weird and unique and sort of thinking like, oh, maybe Anglicanism would be interesting. But all these, you know, 18 and 19 year olds have already beaten me to that idea. Um, so so that was that was sort of interesting. But I agree with you that this sort of um, more liturgical focus is um, kind of maybe an answer to how to provide a little bit of depth and to kind of, uh, I, all right, I, I guess I have two questions. I'll go with this question first. Um, 
I, I feel like one of the things that I've learned, I've been reading the early church fathers and kind of focusing on, on early church history and stuff like that. And one, one of the things that I've been sort of surprised about is just what the definition of worship is, right? Like mm. if, if I told you I was a worship leader, you would say, oh, okay, what instrument do you play, right? You know, like in Protestant evangelical world, worship is music, right? Like, oh, we're going to have a time of worship now. What's that mean? We're going to have a time of music right now, right? And I, that I don't think that worship was defined that way. In I'm not saying that they didn't have music in early church services. I think that they did. But I don't think that was like the special time of the service that was, oh, now we're doing worship. Previously, we're doing something else. <laughs> but now we're, now we're doing worship. And like you said, that that's very connected to our sense that the most important part of, uh, I don't know, religion is that personal emotional experience, right? That's how you know that you're doing it correctly. And what kind of drums up the most uh, emotional experience? Well, it's a really powerful, moving, inspiring worship band with good music and stuff like that. But I think that in the early church, the definition of worship was the Eucharist or communion or the Lord's Supper. And, and it was like, well, that's a little bit weird. Um, you know, my, my church, when they do that, they do it once a month or quarterly or something like that. And they don't call it, we're going to do a time of worship now. Right. Uh, so how, how do you feel like, and I've noticed you, you've talked with Brett Sockold and, and a couple hmm. other people like that. How do you feel like your understanding and appreciation for the Lord's Supper communion Eucharist? I'm just saying all of those words to not trigger any denominational identities by what I decide to call it. How do you feel like your understanding has changed on that subject? Yeah, that's a great question. So I have a video where I have no idea why people even watch, to be honest. I look back and I'm like, this is 40 minutes of me rambling and not being sure. Um, I mean, I did a decent amount of research going into it, but uh, I was doing a series uh, where I'd go through the book of John chapter by chapter. And I got to John six right around the time on my channel was kind of becoming uh, more and more Catholic in its demographics. I was like, come on, like, how am I supposed <laughs> to tackle this topic right now? Um, but it was something I was already starting to get interested in taking some classes on historical theology and even Calvin, who I think uh, his view of the Lord's Supper is largely misunderstood. It's much higher than I think a lot mm -hmm. of people would take it to be. Um, so on one hand, it's changed theologically of just what I think the Eucharist is. And then I would say there's some sense I, I still am not kind of married to any type of definition of how this works um, but there's there's some sense in which uh, christ is present in the eucharist uh, which certainly should change our perception of its importance um and so on that lens I, I think you're right i think if you took someone from the early church to a church service that didn't have uh the eucharist the lord's supper communion insert all your you know, uh, various and sundry titles um I think they might be like, this was a cool, like, is this catechesis? Is that what we're at? <laughs> like, is this, is this like an evangelism gathering? Like, I mean, this has been cool. Like the music, like all here for it, like the message, like that was practical. Um, but they're like, it, when, yeah, when is this church? like a, a special midweek thing that you're doing uh, to have yeah, fun together? Would, right. Yeah. <laughs> that would be the question. Um, and I think, you know, going to your definition of worship, um, I think if you go to the pre-Christian era, and you said, hey, I'm a worship leader, the question would be, oh, over which, and I'm going to say this word more in the technical sense, but like, 
over which like cult sacrifices yes. do you preside exactly like, that would be yes. what is tied with worship mm-hmm. uh, oh yeah so what animals do you sacrifice to which god yeah it yeah. would be if you're a worship leader right yeah yeah mm-hmm. so so i think so i well that brings up the question of is the eucharist lord's supper communion a sacrifice which is a a thorny subject for protestants because i can't i can't help but admit in almost all of the the early church fathers that I read, even really really early ones, they seem to call it a sacrifice, and that was one of those things right at the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. That I don't know any Protestants who have changed their mind on that. Um, but I, I guess that brings up a question: Do you think that um, we've been talking about the future of evangelicalism? Do you think that there's any sort of way that evangelicalism can sort of plunder some of the riches of Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy in an attempt to kind of revive and strengthen itself going into the future. Yeah, I mean, I think they already are in a lot of ways. You see different groups popping up like conservative Anglican groups that are this kind of weird mix of evangelical, uh, like the evangelical ethos per se, of evangelism first and like high emphasis on the gospel but then kind of pooling from historic Anglican practice, but then you might even see icons and such from the Eastern uh, tradition. And then I think you see this in other places too, like the Center for Baptist Renewal of people saying, hey, like we're Baptists, but we also really love church history and we're gonna try to learn from both. And you see this uptick in people wanting to call themselves lowercase c Catholic that, hey, like I'm, I'm part of this bigger thing. I don't want to define myself solely in opposition to the Catholic church, but but I am Catholic and people trying to say, you know, there's a book, Jerry Walls, that you know, they're, they're actually, the, the problem with Catholicism, it's not Catholic enough, meaning it's not universal enough. Um, and so I think people are already starting to try to plunder those things. There's different books coming out all the time about kind of like ancient future faith, which was older or, um, you know, liturgical, sacramental, and charismatic all at the same time. Like, how do, how do you fuse these things? So I think people will continue to try to draw from the riches of different traditions, um, especially as there's talk. And uh, I, I don't really like the, like, secular uh, religious you know, divide here, but in the secular world or literature about how much habit shapes us or the importance of, you know, your daily rhythms and things like that. And then people going back into church history and being like, wait, like these liturgical practices or these, uh, these commitments of kind of prayer hours that you might see in maybe the Eastern church or in the Western as well. These, these could be really good. And this could actually match up with what we're seeing scientifically. And so I think, um, I think there will be a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so what's sort of your, your future for your YouTube channel? And, and I guess I could ask, what are you going to do once you graduate? Yeah. So as far as the future of my YouTube channel, there will be a lot more of what's happening right now. And so I'll continue doing interviews. Um, it's at kind of this precarious place right now where it's a great part-time job while I'm in school. It's not quite where I'd want it to be for a full-time job. Um, that's where I would like it to become eventually. And um, so there's more content I would like to be doing. I have whole lists of different series and different types of videos I'd like to be getting into. I'd love to be doing more church tours, more things like that. I'd also like to get back to not only interviews, but also some shorter uh, videos that are like teaching kind of Bible study, stuff like that. 
um, as well as trying to help introduce people to church history in bite-sized uh, ways. So that, that's some of the future, uh, but a lot more interviews and things like that are coming. And then as far as my future, uh, it, the, the goal is to be doing grad school. Um, so right now I'm uh, surrounded, if you could see like around me, uh, in books, not just for class, but um, really interested in getting into church history programs. Um, so my primary interest is actually in the medieval period, which might surprise some people because I'd probably talk more about patristics than at the medieval period on my channel, but I think it's a slightly under-researched area in this way and offers a lot of insights into how the modern world formed, what that can tell us about us, and then also kind of the sociological impacts of religion because we have the great experiment of Christendom and mm. its glories and not so glories. Yeah. Uh, have you read Tom Holland's Dominion? I have. Yeah. Okay. You're, I, I, that, it was. Yeah. That's that's what was making me think. That's interesting. So, um, so are you hoping to go to a PhD program to to um, focus on medieval stuff? Yeah. So, I mean, first it'll be a master's, um, mm. and I've got got a list of programs for that. But uh, hopefully, after that, a PhD. I love school. I, I'm a nerd through and through, and um, so. I've often said that I'll do school as long as time and money affords, which may not be very long or might be mm -hmm. a bit. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, would, would you, are you looking at Christian schools or, uh, or would you be interested in a secular schools um, program on medieval studies or something like that? Yeah. So for my master's specifically, it'll probably be a bit more secular, perhaps, um, I mean, there's like Catholic and name institutions that I'm interested in. Like at the top of my list is Notre Dame. Um, so mm -hmm. that wouldn't be a big move. Yeah. Yeah. They're a Catholic school, but how mm -hmm. Catholic is, you know, a history program at Notre Dame is a question very much up for debate, I suppose. Um, I'm still working on, I'd kind of like to get the foundation in the medieval world and history from my master's, um, but I am kind of a, a theologian at heart. And so it would be, you know, history and theology, but for the PhD might focus a bit more on theology. So I'd have to think a bit more about that, but kind of just the state of academics today is that even schools like Moody, um, if you see who they're, they're hiring professors from, it's not from necessarily Christian schools. They might've gone to a Christian school for their, their seminary or like their MDiv or something like that. They might go to a, a Dallas or, or a Trinity or whatnot, but I mean, most of our new profs are coming from like a St. Andrews or a Cambridge, mm. or you kind of have to be at a research institute just because there's too many people getting PhDs these days and not enough positions. Um, so for it to be worth it, it, it has to be at a pretty competitive school. Um, so we'll see. I mean, there's, there's a lot of steps between here and there, but uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. But you're going to keep your YouTube channel alive on the journey. Lord willing, that's the plan. Yeah. Um, so what are, what are some things that, that we don't know about Austin? What are some of your hobbies? Are you a snowboarder? I'm just sort of guessing by the blanket over your shoulder. Aha, the Burton blanket. Yeah. yeah. So I do snowboard. Um, mm -hmm. I also surf. I don't know if I've ever brought that up on YouTube. Um, yeah, I've been surfing since I was in like fifth grade. Um, things that the world doesn't know about me. Um, I enjoy like pretentious coffee. Like I hand grind my coffee every day and make pour overs. Um, actually my, well, I'm engaged. I should have said that at some point. Um, so my fiance is better with coffee than I am. I just, 
I say my, my life goal is just be a barista at her uh, coffee shop one day. But she, she plans on uh, opening a roastery and coffee shop. So that's kind of something we enjoy together. Um, things people don't know about me that I, I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I surf, snowboard, um, play guitar, mm. enjoy that. Um, I have done that on my YouTube channel once or twice, I think. Are you in a, uh, are you, are you a, in a worship position at a church? I am not. No. I mean, I, I've ha, played, have I've you done that in the past? So not as my job. Like yesterday mm. I played in Moody's chapel. I played mm. electric guitar. Um, and then when I was on staff at that church, my role was as uh, like a social media and video production uh, coordinator, I think was my title or something like that. Um, but I also did play in the band occasionally. Um, Let's see, anything else interesting about me? Yeah, I mean, just park me in the sand with a book and I'm happy as can be. Um, I'm a pretty simple man. (laughs) Yeah, well, I wish you got to be in Chicago more in the summer because Chicago actually, I think, has more miles of public beach than any other city. I think that that's true, which is an unexpected fact. People would never guess that Chicago holds that title. It does have some nice beaches, yeah. From yeah, like I try to get down July fourth to September first, but you know. yeah, yeah, for the first like two weeks of school, <laughs> Chicago is perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, all right, last question: who who would be uh, your dream interview land, or who who have you who would you want to talk to that you've yet haven't talked to or have had trouble getting uh, um, uh, interviews with? Yeah. I struggle with this question a bit because I feel like I've kind of already peaked. <laughs> no, but uh, landing Tim Mackey was a really big deal to me uh, yeah. from the Bible Project. He's mm-hmm. He was one of the, the, I mean, the Bible Project and their podcast, along with the work of N.T. Wright, were some of the people that really introduced me to academic theology mm-hmm. and just really got me interested in that. Um, so I, I can see on my bookshelf above me, like N.T. Wright's volume, The New Testament, The People of God was like one of the first highly footnoted works of theology. And I was like, this is so cool. I want to know more. Um, so I guess N.T. Wright would be really cool um, mm-hmm. to have on. Uh, as far as like a Catholic or Orthodox guest, Bishop Robert Barron for a yeah. Catholic guest, I think would be at the top of the list there. Um, or the Pope. I mean, if we're really just want to shoot for the Pope. it. Pope. Uh, yeah, sure. Great. Yeah. yeah Excellent. Casual, right. <laughs> um, and then I've really wanted to have Bishop uh, or Metropolitan Callisto Square mm-hmm. um, on from the Orthodox Church. And actually we've had two dates in the past. That we were supposed to do interviews but um he's pretty advanced in age and his health isn't too great so i don't know if that one's gonna happen but uh yeah those are some of the people that, that pop in my mind cool yeah well uh i guess with that any any closing thoughts any closing words and no uh, this has been a really fun conversation yeah. uh, it's always fun to to think about these things that encourage people to you know, take what I say with a grain of salt and read people far smarter than I am. Uh, these are uh, areas I'm interested in, but aren't necessary. I mean, far from expertise. So I, I'd be happy for people to uh, offer alternative views on maybe what the future of evangelicalism is or why people are interested in these things. I'm always looking to learn, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I hope it's helpful. And thanks for having me on. And yeah, if people want to check out the channel, they can at Gospel Simplicity, but yeah. Yeah, well, thank you very much for your time, Austin. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking with you, and I look forward to seeing what you do in the future. All right, likewise, Sam.